I finally got around to uh, Lovecraft Country, which uh, I I get exactly what you were saying in the last episode about how each one is sort of like a different pulp story, and I love it so much, but still it, with like, an overarching. It really, yeah, like since it hits the ground running, that's almost, if you've only watched one episode of this show, what we're saying might not, you might be like, ah, uh, yeah, but it felt weird. But Honestly, it doesn't even, after even after the second episode because it that's could what feel I'm saying. Like, yeah, it could feel like you know the first episode was getting us there, and then the second episode is like, oh, this is what it Wait, is. Wait, what's now. the tone of this show? But yeah, it's but like now that it's been of, three yeah. or for me four, yeah, it's yeah, it, it feels, uh, yeah. I did want to make sure and give a shout out uh, to uh, Jennifer Wythera. I think she goes by now. She's. Uh, she went by a couple different names while I went to school with her, but she went to school in the year above me at the U of M Guthrie Theater BFA program, uh, and she got her spot in an HBO show, and it was so cool to see her up there. So happy for her. Um, yeah, I don't know. We we were never close or anything, but uh, Jen, if you're hearing this, congratulations. I'm so excited for you, and uh, hope this Do opens you know up more opportunities for where you. where I can keep an eye open for the role or is it um, it, it's, like an an episode episode, three, um, it's an episode three it's an episode three i'm gonna i will talk to you off recording about cool. uh, how she shows up cool um, but oh man what a performance in that third episode that's all i'm gonna say because just like you don't want to like give uh, yeah it's one of those of things a, yeah. where it comes up and then you're like oh Oof. uh yeah episode four it's you're just gonna have to see, my friend. <laughs> well, uh, what's that's a... the show, you know. Like every time an episode comes, I press play, and I have a feeling of I have no idea what is gonna Ooh. happen. I love that. I love. Yeah, I me love too. That this it, show it, is, it's yeah, it's wonderful. It's a wonderful feeling. Uh, what and else? Then, uh, uh, what else you get to talk about? Yeah, I was just gonna say I recently checked out that new Charlie Kaufman, uh, written directed. Uh, I'm thinking of ending things. Hell yeah. So for those who don't know of him, he's the guy who wrote uh, Being John Malkovich and Eternal Sunshine of a Spotless Mind. Mm -hmm. He directed mm -hmm. Synecdoche, New York, which is like you really, have really... praised. I still haven't gotten around to watching. Very good. Very hard. It's, it's one of those where, you know, his movies are very real when it comes to the human psyche, which sure. is sometimes very hard to watch as mm -hmm. a human. If, yeah. if someone thinks differently than that, like if you're someone who's a very, very optimistic person who's like not constantly in deep in their own thoughts about like life and whatnot, watching these movies might be just really interesting because it's like, oh, wow, like this is so melancholy. And But as sure. someone who thinks that way, it might be hard, you know, to right. sit through like hours of people. Yeah, that's and, what and, this and movie you feel was that way too. About, yeah, you feel that yes, way about this it's, one. It's definitely one where have a episode of Avatar ready to follow <laughs> it up with because yeah. you will feel really, really bleak. But sure. it's it's on purpose. It's not like a form like just trying to make you feel bleak. It's trying to make you think about that. Think about sure. why you're feeling that way and what's making you feel that way. It's super experimental too. So like, it's not just like a straightforward movie. It's like a contemporary art piece basically right, huh? yeah so it's I'll cool have to check that out all right uh, i've been very uh mysterious with you and alluding yes. to you that i've been <laughs> that i watched a movie i really wanted to talk about i remember 
I feel like I remember you seeing it in theaters when it came out last year. Um, but this morning, I watched the film Loose. L-U-C-E, Loose. I just got chills. <laughs> dude. Oh, <laughs> I saw it wow. twice in theaters, dude. I'm yes. like, I'm still processing it. It's, oh my God. It is quite it the fantastic? experience. It's a fantastic movie. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm it's absolutely It's got my favorite performances from almost every actor in that movie. And there yeah. are some actors in this movie who have given out... You're right. Yeah. Like 50 or 100 performances that are noteworthy. Yeah. Octavia Spencer, uh, Naomi Watts. Tim and, Roth. Uh, Tim Roth. Oh my God. All three of them are seasoned actors, but this movie gives any of their other roles a run for their money. Right. I would say that Kelvin Harrison Jr. Mm -hmm. Or is that that his full? He's a junior, right? He is. Holy shit. He is incredible in this movie. Every single character in this movie is so fleshed out and developed and interesting and engaging. And the entire time. I was just on the edge of my seat the entire time. Yep. And I love that. for a reason that you've never been on the edge of your seat for right. before. It's not like you think. I don't want to spoil anything because this is one that I'm sure a lot of people haven't seen listening. Please uh, go watch this movie. Go watch this movie. I think the it's on Hulu right is, now. That's where I watched it. Oh, awesome. I might just watch that too soon because, yeah, I haven't seen it since theaters. Beautifully made. Uh, I'm pretty sure it was a stage play before it was yeah. a film. It was a play by J.C. Lee. And I think that's who directed it, right? Uh, no, the it was movie. directed by Julius Ona, who worked with J.C. Lee to uh, adapt it to a, a screenplay. And Julius Ona is a Nigerian-American. He uh, was born and raised in Nigeria for the most part and moved to uh, through the U.K. and to America when he was younger. But I think that's fascinating. Be- and, and, and very important. Very to important to the plot of this movie. Because there is so much about being a an, an African-American. You know, not, not the way we used the term for like 10 years, <laughs> 5 years ago <laughs> and backwards. But like the actual meaning of the term African-American um, in the United States. And, and what that process is. I do, I mean, I, I, I want to make sure, say... You know, there is a difference between the character who is from a war-torn Eritrea um, mm-hmm. and Nigeria, which is not, you know, a, a, a war-stricken country as of right now as I know it. But um, so there's a difference in that experience, but still, like, the experience of, you know, being a foreign, you know, but raised in America, an African-American mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, and it, especially... he knows what that's like. He can bring an authenticity, and he has the sort of uh, authority to be able to tell this story, which makes me feel, you know, th- there were elements of it that I was like, uh, I, I, and I don't know exactly how to talk about it, but like, you know, it, I this is not spoiling to say if you've seen the trailer, there is like, you know, an idea of this character of Luce being like thought to possibly be dangerous, like. There is that element of it, and um, if this was written and, like, directed by white men or white people, that might be, like, I don't know if this is being handled uh, right or not. Like, I don't know. I I don't have the authority to say. I wouldn't think and they would. because of that, you know that they of, wouldn't have yes. that authority as well, which right. is, like, yikes. Uh, but and, the fact yeah. that um, the people who wrote and directed this film entirely are you know of the backgrounds that they are 
confirms for me that you know they have at least more authority on these sort of narratives and makes me so happy because there is gray area and intricacies to these characters that i think are wildly engaging and thought-provoking and um I, I feel more open being able to have those conversations knowing that they're coming from people who have a little bit more authority on those subjects you know what i mean absolutely yeah no it, it makes for an experience that doesn't just feel like a falsified wokeness if right that's the right way to put yeah. it it feels like experience and right uh yeah beyond oh. all of that too it's also beautiful to look at the it was like filmed on yeah. uh, i forget what the camera was but it's it's real film so like when you hmm. are you're sitting there you're like you oh my god tell. like you the shadows tell. and like the the way they use shadow specifically there's like a lot of really cool lighting moments in that movie that are so subtle but i mean and as a focus filmmaker as well like um yeah depth of field Absolutely. and things like that are uh really beautiful the soundtrack too there's sort of this oh, reoccurring wow. I almost forgot that uh, soundtrack is so like good oh my god it's ooh and intense and it makes it oh it just heightens it the 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 sound design in general just heightens the movie so much and i love the way that they set things up and there's a lot of things that are not explicitly explained and that's partially the point of like the entire movie and also exactly. extremely satisfying you know for the audience to be for, able to connect yes. some dots on their own but some are still left open you know it's it's mm -hmm. very much and, make and of some this, things that are left open will. aren't left open for you to decide what happened right They're left open for you to see what what does an open situation like this create like what comes from that right so cool i'm so glad you watched it you're gonna watch Ooh. it again i'm sure because i probably will it's I'm, one of those yeah. where it's so fun to watch again but not like fun, like I am having a good time. It's fun, like oh, oh. right, <laughs> right, it, thrilling to watch. Yes, if you even like Octavia Spencer a little bit, watch this. You would movie. be doing yourself a huge disservice to not see her in this because Oof. I really liked her before this, mm -hmm. and after this, I will watch anything she's in. Yep, <laughs> yep. She's unbelievable in that movie. She is not, however, in... <laughs> That's the segue I'm choosing this time. Uh, in the film we're talking about today, we are talking about movies a little bit more often on this A New Lens, the podcast you're listening to, which Gary and I started to talk about film and TV that we liked as kids through the new lens of adults and amateur filmmakers and uh, uh, veggie patty enthusiasts. Um, so we have decided to take on, oh man, what a good movie. I, I'll just, I, I you know, I can't hype it up. You almost don't want to say the holes. 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 Yes. You got to go and dig, dig those holes. I knew we were both going to sing that song, but from a different <laughs> point. I knew it. It is <laughs> such an earworm. Like, oh my God. After watching the credits and hearing the song again, I like the and entire day. They did the yeah, song. It's so it's cool. It's like th three oh. or four of the guys. All right. Yep. We yep. can't just, we can't get ahead of ourselves here, but uh, uh, yeah. Holes. Yeah. Uh, so Holes, if you don't know, is a film adaptation of a young adult novel by Lewis Sacker. I believe I'm saying that right. Um, and it is about Stanley Yelnats, who through a sort of destiny 
event is hit in the head by a pair of shoes that are actually extremely valuable. And he gets arrested and uh, chooses, instead of going to jail, to go to Camp Green Lake. Which sounds very appealing, but it turns out to be uh, just awful. Basically, a tiny town in the middle of a vast desert where your punishment is to dig a five-foot-wide hole and five-foot-deep one hole a day for whatever your sentence is. So Stanley goes through, he meets, you know, a various cast of characters and um, starts to grow this bond with this uh, other kid in the camp, Zero. And while this story is unfolding, we have these sort of two flashback stories that um, continue to flesh themselves out that all link together at the end. We have um, Kate Barlow and her, you know, love interest Sam in this old town growing a bond. Sam helping her fix up her schoolhouse because she's the teacher in this small town of of Green Lake. And, uh, and then we've got Trout Walker, who his family owns pretty much the entire town and the motorboats that are new in this, you know, flashback time. And he starts hitting on Kate Barlow. She turns him away and sort of a riot breaks out, which ends in the tragic, you know, basically murdering of Sam. Uh, and the other flashback we have going on is this curse of Stanley's family, the Yelnats family, where his uh, no-good, dirty, rotten, pig-stealing great-great-grandfather, as his grandfather puts it, uh, made a deal to try and, you know, uh, secure a marriage with this woman. He made a deal with this uh, mystical woman by the name of Madame Zeroni, who put a curse on him, basically, after he forgets to carry her up the mountain. Well, the kids uh, get, in present time, get sick of, you know, through much development, they get sick of uh, what what's happening at the camp, and Zero runs away. Eventually, Stanley comes after him, and in this sort of twist of fate, they find each other. Stanley brings... Uh, zero up the mountain because he knows there's an oasis at God's thumb and uh, breaks the curse and eventually comes back. They discover the entire reason the holes are being dug in the first place. And there's just a wonderful ending to uh, just a, a really amazing story that uh, ties so much into it, man. You know, there's so many. It's so emotionally rich. So emotionally rich. There's like narratives that. You know, apparently, uh, Louis Zacker, I'm going to screw that up so many times this episode, um, has said that, you know, he's not trying to say anything in particular, like politically or anything with his stories, but there is so much inherent in these stories. Yeah, it's one of those things where I think he just feels that way without realizing it, and if he, yeah. you know what I mean? I don't want to put words in a dude's mouth, but there's too much. There's just too much. Maybe he doesn't necessarily feel like this is so terrible but right. it feels like he does he's at least pointing it out you know yeah. and it doesn't feel like he's pointing it out like hey this happens and it's not that bad it's more like right. i don't know we'll get into it but i mean yeah, yeah. Th this is a good starting point because he was 
the screenwriter for this movie. Mm-hmm. He made the transition, uh, and he was the one to adapt his novel. Yeah, I actually watched... Um, there's like a commentary for the movie on YouTube. It's mm. basically just screenshots of the movie to line it up with. Oh, uh, you know what I mean? Yeah. But there's a 30 minute, there's like 30 minutes missing from it of mm. total screen time. So I tried watching it with the movie and I would just have to pause YouTube every time it would skip ahead to a new scene mm. until the movie caught up. Yeah. It was, it was bad, but it was worth <laughs> it because I, I learned kind of a lot of stuff that was really oh, cool. cool. One being that Shia LaBeouf should just be a director. The dude was like mm. 13 during this in the well, entire commentary. Yeah, I mean, you know, yeah. the entire commentary, he was basically like, oh, this is a really great example of why you should never do too much coverage. Like, we only use the master for this. And I'm thinking, mm. like, I didn't even know what that was. You know, I don't know. The dude has been yeah. in a lot of stuff, so he yeah. just, like, has learned a lot. Right. Um, but I also learned that the writer uh lewis was actually there like not just like oh, as a wow. screenwriter but uh there's like a moment where uh, in the commentary shia was like what did zero even do like if if you threw those shoes why would you get caught and he was like oh i stole some shoes from payless the next day right and they're like how do you know that and he was like well it's in the script but i asked lewis like one of the first days that we were shooting and he told me that like oh yeah you you stole some shoes from the payless the next day mm-hmm. and it was actually funny because in the commentary everyone was like oh you're in the wrong movie zero there's no way you did that because you were in camp green lake way before uh shia was so you couldn't have stole something after him but like the point of that i think is a statement on the fact that as a homeless uh as a young homeless kid he was thrown into Camp Green like instantly, right. where Shia was given faster. like a fair trial and, you know, not right. necessarily fair, but a trial. Right. Yeah. But I mean, that's another thing sort of latent within this is the, you know, the treatment of of poverty. <laughs> and yeah, um, maybe we'll get into that uh, a little bit later. Um, I do think it's interesting that, you know, Lewis is, you know, tries to not be. I think he's just as an artist trying to make his his story as palatable to anybody that wants to, you know, intake it as possible by not coming out and making a public statement about, you know, I was intending to do this or this. And then somebody mm-hmm. might hear that and be disillusioned by it. And they can just learn those things by reading the story, you know, or mm-hmm. and it's especially the story this way. I don't know if it was for you. But I'm pretty sure for me, it was literally something I had to read in sixth grade. It was like in my part of my curriculum. Uh, and when I was yeah. looking at the comments for the uh, YouTube commentary that I watched, there were a lot of people in the comment section being like, we had to read the book and then watch the movie for school. Hmm. One of the best movies ever. And there were people from like four years ago, three years ago. It's like, hmm. this is still... Kids now are reading this book and then watching the movie. Hmm. And uh, yeah, maybe, I mean, I don't think that it's good to excuse someone for being silent when you could be, you know, outward about something. But maybe it's possible that he's, you know, trying to keep that popularity for the sake of spreading a message without... And, I mean, at the same time, it's very likely that deep down he actually doesn't realize that he's spreading a message. He might truly think, like, I'm just telling these individual stories. They don't have anything to do with systems that are in place in a Western society. But the reason why he knows those individual stories are because of how many he's heard, which is 
something that the reader would interpret you know like mm -hmm. as an author he might just write an, an individual's story but as a reader you know like wow i've heard this story so many times this author really resonates a common uh right. problem you know mm -hmm. and that's that's what's beautiful about art because you can watch a clint eastwood movie and still take like a really really like liberal view out of it even though clint eastwood is like a really known conservative <laughs> right it's yeah. interesting it's pretty crazy like you know, you can watch Million Dollar Baby and be like, see, this is why we need free health care. <laughs> <laughs> it's like right. you're, yeah. you're always able to to pull. Um, and I think that's one of the beautiful things about this movie is there's so much going on. It's just easy to pull a lot. And it's really nice that all the things we pull from it are 99%, I would say, are like good. You know, like, wow, this <laughs> yeah. is something I'm really glad I learned when I was a kid. Right. You know, and also just like entertaining, like really good story setup. Um, yeah, I'm I'm thinking about the quote that you brought up in the last episode that Morgan Freeman said, which is very interesting uh, to bring up now because we're doing a film adaptation of a book where, you know, the book is you practicing your imagination, like someone giving you all the materials to practice your imagination and seeing a film is what is watching someone practice their imagination. And I think that's so cool that. And I think it's why this movie is has always been to me, and I've heard many other people say this, that it's like probably the best, if not the only like movie that is as good, if not better than the book. Because mm -hmm. he was just able to make what he was seeing in his head, you know? Yeah, and it and it feels like the director because uh, it's a good director too, um Andrew Davis. Andrew Davis does not have a bad track record. He's got a good track record of movies, especially before Holes. Hmm. Uh, I imagine he read the book and sat with Lewis and they collaborated a lot because it really does feel like, you know, you can you can tell when, like Annihilation is a great example of a book to movie adaptation hmm. where the uh, the director read the book but then decided... There's no way I can do this. So mm. I am going to sleep on it, wake up, and write a script based on my mood that this book put in me. Yeah. So it's it's very different from the, from the book, but yeah. still has like the same story beats. This really feels like the dude finished reading the book, the director, and was like, yeah, I could totally make this. Let <laughs> right. me sit down with the writer. Let me sit down with the author, and let's bang out a script yeah you know and they were just like on the same page you know i feel like Absolutely. they just very much got each other totally um, which is so cool and then yeah this movie did get made in 2003 and what a cast they got for this movie oh this my might be God. one of my favorite uh cast movies ever i love it i love every single cast member in this movie every I mean, single one yeah even beside the uh adults who many of whom were like very big stars in the moment yeah. and are still big yeah. stars. The in the commentary, of like... they talk about that a lot, how it's like, wow, it's crazy we got to work with Sigourney right. Weaver and John Voight in the same right. scene, you know? Yeah. Um, but the amount of like really, really genuine and, I don't know, yeah, effective child actors, which is not always easy to accomplish. Like not at all. Even the Harry Potter movies, which were wildly successful, if you watch those first ones, those kids aren't good. I mean like they're good, but they're like 
it's Wingardium Leviosa, not Wingardium Leviosa. Yeah, like, when there's it's like a little the, bit much. Like there are a couple of them that are so good that it, you know, you can actually tell. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like I would say that the main trio gets a lot better throughout that series, where some of right. the supporting young, so young supporting cast, like mm. uh, Seamus Diggory. Right. I don't know. I you know some of them are just like a little more like oh wow that that kid was really good from like the beginning what was right. that yeah uh yeah no this is like and I, I in on youtube there's also a uh how they made holes video like a making of video that's really mm. interesting i i found it right before doing this so i only watched the first half of it but uh the casting director had like a little segment where she um, just sat in front of the camera and talked about her experience in the film. Hmm. And essentially, she was like, our goal was to create, like, to cast these characters. Like, I, we weren't trying to find amazing actors who have, like, a bunch of roles behind them. Mm-hmm. Like, they wanted to just find these people for real and then put them in these outfits and let them hang out and just like chill and then how would you like knowing that that's what they were doing and being cast as armpit (laughs) (laughs) i mean i love armpit though but like oh yeah (laughs) oh this kid smells he's great (laughs) i've always been really bummed that they didn't continue because there's another book after holes called small steps that's right about armpit leaving camp green lake yeah and he would have been amazing that actor in that role what's his name i have the his name is uh byron cotton byron cotton and he hasn't done a whole lot since holes he's one of the child actors great at armpit yeah yeah that shot when he pushes stanley down in the beginning and like leans into the camera right it's armpit yeah that shot sticks in my memory better than so many Yeah. yeah Um, but anyway, she basically said that that was their goal. And then with Shia, when they were casting Stanley Elnats, um, I guess the director went to her and was like, I want you to find me a young Tom Hanks. And in this interview thing, she was like, I know that sounds like, you know, you hear that and it's silly. And she's like, but I'm just telling you, that's exactly what he said. He Mm. said, find me a young, young Tom Hanks. And then she was like, I didn't just find you Tom Hanks. I found you Tom Hanks with a little Sean Penn. And that's how she <laughs> described young Shia LaBeouf. Huh. Tom Hanks and Sean Penn had like a love child, you know, and interesting. it's Shia LaBeouf. And I think that's super interesting, especially now that he has grown into a seasoned actor and has become, right. in my opinion, a pretty unique, you know, he, he takes a lot of different roles. So if you follow Shia's career right now, it's really unique. He's interesting and he does some pretty interesting roles and i would definitely not compare him to sean penn or oh. tom hanks <laughs> yeah no um, but i totally get route. that sentiment i get it with yeah. his uh ability to there are some moments in in this movie where just his face looking at zero or looking at mr sir has like this kind of sadness on it mm-hmm. and i thought like wow they really you know, they found the right moment, the really, really good candid moment. Yeah. But then when you listen to the commentary, Shia, for lack of a better term, was kind of just like a, I don't know what the word is for it. Like he was just a little rowdy, you know, huh. like he's throughout this whole commentary. He like randomly would just be like, oh, man, she was so cute. Oh, beautiful. She was beautiful. <laughs> but like he was never disrespectful. It was yeah. always just like or his thing that he said throughout the whole interview or the whole commentary was 
oh, she was sick. Patricia Arquette, sick. Her performance <laughs> is sick. He just kept it's saying that. I mean, he, very he different a, dude than he is in the movie, though. Yeah, you know what I mean, like he he puts on this very like, especially young Shia LaBeouf, and like even Stevens, and in this, he he puts on a very like sort of earnest but goofy like you know sort of thing. yeah like when he's driving the car away right but i th- I think he's like shy himself is a little bit more mischievous like mm-hmm. especially as a kid and more like rebellious in his track record going to i i think we'll reference a couple things to check out um beyond listening to this podcast and one of them is a uh Captain Midnight, if you don't know his YouTube channel, he's a fantastic video uh, essay creator, and he made a video on Shia LaBeouf's entire history, and honestly, I don't even feel like I need to say a whole lot else, because you should watch that video, because it's very informative. Yeah, Um, and if you haven't seen Honey Boy, that's just basically a movie about young Shia that he wrote. I'll have to watch that. So, briefly, it's just, he wrote a movie about his upbringing and it's like mostly about his relationship with his dad and then um the woman who directed it became very very close with him throughout the process so it really feels like a product of two people who i don't know it's one of the most like uh personal movies i've ever seen yeah it's really good yeah um but Um, yeah he's a interesting dude oh yeah and really fantastic in this movie. I mean, perfectly suited for this role. I mean, I feel like it's very well cast in general. I, I'm a huge fan of the pairing of John Voight and Tim Blake Nelson as Mr. Sir oh, and Dr. Pendanski. One of the best Iconic. pairings. Oh, my God. And Dude, I, Tim Blake Nelson in this movie is what I grew up thinking of him as when I mm, thought of Tim Blake Nelson. Yeah. Like, oh, brother, where art thou in this? Right. You know what I mean? That's it. But he is one of the best actors ever. Oh, and I mean he's all of them. So is John like Voight. A, so is Sigourney Weaver. Yeah. So is uh Winkler. What's his name? Henry, Henry Winkler. Winkler. Yeah. The Fonz. Like there are some absolutely Patricia Arquette. Dule Hill as like the most charming person I think probably in cinematic history. I could fix that. Yeah. Just yeah, that line. It's basically as you wish from the Princess Bride, but even more affecting somehow. <laughs> yeah, like I love as you wish. It's one of my. Fa- I could get that tattooed on my body, and I would be yeah. like, "Yeah, it's one of my favorite movies." Yeah. If you're but not in love with Dule Hill in this movie, that. you have you have no sense of you have no sense of uh, of love or empathy or uh, <laughs> I don't know. Um, you're hatless. But Mr. Sir and Dr. Pendanski in particular, I I really wanted to highlight because I realized um, how sort of they they flip in your mind. uh, Yeah. Or in their roles. You know, you get there and Mr. Sir is like this sort of horrifying, um, intimidating presence who's like... Yeah, you're gonna do what I say. I'm Mr. Sir, you know, and like you're thirsty. Get used to it. You're gonna be thirsty for eighteen months. Right? Yeah. He's yeah. Got like a gun. Um, and then you talk to Doctor Pendanski, and he's like, firstly breaks that right away because he's like he's just grumpy because he quit smoking. Um, mm-hmm. but also he seems like this. You know, I'm sort of the counselor. Like I'll be talking to you periodically. And like I'm showing you the ropes here, actually, instead of just telling you what you're gonna be forced to do. And then it just it flips, and by the end, John Voight is 
I mean, Mr. Sir is a he's fucking just joke. Goofy. <laughs> he's yeah, goofy he's as all hell. He's a complete joke. And they know it, too. It's not like a yeah. joke that isn't satisfying. It's right. a joke with a punchline. You yeah. Know? And Dr. Pendansky is a fucking villain. He is Absolutely. horrible. I mean, he, he is the embodiment of unprecedented hate towards poverty. Like, the way he treats there's Zero literally no in reason. this movie. And it's, there's no reason to it. He just hates him because he thinks he's stupid, and he's poor because he's stupid, because he's poor because he's stupid, and he hates it. Like, that. there's no other, like, real reason and to it. He's just horrible You know to what I found kid. just really interesting this time watching it is how when you meet him, he introduces you to the other boys as uh, Theodore, mm-hmm. as Rex. Right. Uh, and when he does, each one of them is like, my name's Armpit Man, right. or my name's X-Ray. It's X-Ray. Don't mm-hmm. say Rex. Yeah. And that, when you watch it for the very first time, you feel a sense of like, wow, this guy's like trying to help these guys out. He's trying to clean them up. He's trying to give them their identities back so they don't just have nicknames or whatever. Right. But you realize throughout the movie that he's doing the opposite of that. He's mm-hmm. taking their identity. He's trying to turn them into something that uh, isn't actually a thing. Like, he's not actually... There's no goal in his mind. Like, I'm not... His mind isn't like, I hope that these boys, uh, you know, can get out of here. And when they go back to their lives in society, they blah, blah, blah. You know, yeah. he's not... There's no concern for them. He's, it's like, it's a power thing. It's a way for yeah. him to be in control of their, uh, their only way to have some individuality in existence. You know what I mean? Yeah. He, he, he says, uh, I use their, I call them by the name society will recognize them by. Yes. Um, which that is line like, is what drives it home. It's, yeah. It's, he doesn't say I, I use the names I, uh that they look like or i use the names that i prefer it's literally he uses the name society will recognize them by that's right. fucking crazy when you which think is about like it. they have created their own community here too since they have been removed by society and created their own like you know community here apart from the uh administration of this place and that's who they want to be referred to as because that's sort of the identities that they've been forced to assume. But now it's sort of like a, you know, fuck you. This is who I am. And it drives home even further the fact that he calls zero zero yeah. is unwarranted hate and just complete disregard for right someone in, po- someone in that class. I don't, I, you know, I just thought of this. I want to bring it up. Uh don't want to like spend a bunch of time on it but it's also like you know your government given name versus like what your what what you would prefer to be used as and that was something that uh, you know our friend from high school who just passed away was very adamant about you know he mm-hmm. you know we, we we said his name in the sort of update that we gave but he multiple times I saw him posting and saying like, don't call me by my government given name. Um, he wanted to be referred to as CR Mashi. And, you know, I, I just think that's, that's it. It it brought that to mind. Yeah. Uh, and that's sort of what's going on here. You know, like call me by, you could even, you could even look at it through a a lens of, um, like a trans lens. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the idea that, 
it's very, very hard to get your name changed when like you can't in in America, in a lot of states, at least it's Mm -hmm. not something you can just be like, okay, I'm finally ready to embrace this identity. Mm -hmm. Like I'm going to be calling myself this and other people will call me this. Mm -hmm. It's just not that easy, not just like legally, but socially, too. Like, and he kind of represents both. He represents Mm -hmm. like the the that like government, you know, forcing that identity on people but he's also like the social aspect because he is our at first at first he's almost like our lens like oh Mm. he's not a guy that's because we have the idea when we first get to camp green lake that okay well every everyone there probably did something bad even Mm. though stanley didn't and we're with stanley you still just have that idea because like in a in a movie where someone goes to we can just call it what it is a prison Mm -hmm. you expect it to be scary you know they're going to be afraid because there are going to be bad people in this prison or whatever and then we meet dr pendanski and he's just like this controlling and nice seemingly nice figure he Mm -hmm. he represents that okay well he's not a bad guy he's there to help them yeah it's very it's a very interesting dynamic we learn more and more about these kids and why they are there and each one of them from what we know is like I mean, either they need, you know, some sort of psychological assistance, like Twitch, mm-hmm. like, who clearly is like a, a, a kleptomaniac, who, you know, ha- has this impulse to steal cars and like clearly with his twitching, like has some sort of psychological stuff. Zigzag, who someone been... literally says, I saw his file. He's got acute paranoia. Yeah. And it's like these kids need assistance. And the, the other one that. It goes by pretty quickly and they make a joke out of it. But uh, Magnet is called Magnet because he, you know, his hands are like magnets. He steals the seeds. Mm-hmm. But in, yeah, in, the, but in the counseling uh, scene, he talks about how his family was trying to get a dog and they were like, they wanted a thousand dollars for it. And it's like, that was, that's absolutely ridiculous. Like, And he even talks about how what's it's not fucked up that i stole a dog what's fucked up is that they put dogs in cages waiting to Uh be uh when there are people out there like and that's a real thing even now like there are people who will take dogs Mm -hmm. but and yet because there are other people who know that they'll pay for them right it's become a business and Mm -hmm. that is extremely fucked up yeah uh yeah i i do love that line too i would have gotten away with it if my pocket didn't start barking (laughs) right i I love love that that line yeah and that i i think we could maybe even right now segue a little just for five minute riff into uh this video um i discovered it was actually in my recommended a few weeks ago and then i knew we were going to be watching this so i put it on uh my saved videos and, nice. and watched it after watching the movie. Yeah. Um, it's a video called, Ooh, I want to say the appropriate title. I think it's called holes in the prison industrial complex. Yeah. Um, the YouTuber is Yara Zaid. Uh, it's a brilliant video essay, basically just diving into that. The idea that, uh, this is in, is allegory the right word? Yeah. An allegory on the prison industrial complex. The idea that, should I dive into what that means or should I just say watch this fucking YouTube video because it's really good and it's... I mean, yeah, we, watch the video. The basis of it is like, yeah, the the uh, administration, the authority in this uh, at Camp Her Green Lake is, is, using, is using the free <laughs> labor of these people to accomplish their own goals. Like, And that's the basis of yeah. 
prison industrial complex is basically using what is essentially slave labor to accomplish mm -hmm. and the way that your financial uh, goals the more affected are more poor in this yes. situation too zero mm -hmm. being specifically like a whole he's kicked down a whole nother notch than anyone else on this camp and mm -hmm. he's also homeless and right uh in the video she goes into real world examples of um the ones that i'm thinking of right now which she'll she goes into more depth but basically there are, uh she talks about um two women who just want to get their kids into a school Hmm. And mm -hmm. the difference in uh, how they're being, how they were treated by by law. Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? The by the judicial system. By, yeah, by the judicial system uh, versus how um, a white woman in a similar situation, a wealthy white woman in a similar situation, was treated versus a, a homeless woman. And yeah, it's really eye opening, especially being that there are real world examples being compared. Excellent video. Definitely watch it. We'll put a link below. Uh, yeah, I don't think I could even get close to covering it as well as she does, too. It's it's actually a great, great video. It's yeah. enjoyable. Oh, absolutely. Um, I I, I want to talk about, since he, he's been coming up a bunch and we haven't talked on, on him specifically, Zero is, I think, the best part of this movie. And uh, Cleo Thomas, his portrayal of this character is astounding to me he was what this movie came out in 2003 he's 31 years old so he, he would have been uh, 14 13 13 14 that's crazy yeah uh every little it's so nuanced his performance in this movie and every little every little shot of his face and yes his face he has the best face yeah like the uh, I always think of the face he makes when he gets up behind Stanley to figure out what, what Stanley's laughing at when mm -hmm. he's reading his letter. Yeah. And then Stanley's like, are you reading over my shoulder? And Zero just goes, I can't read. But he doesn't say it in a way that's like, yeah. I don't know. There's like he's a really like, unique way of, yeah. And it's, it, it's, it's like one of those things where you're like, oh, shit. Yeah. You know what I mean? And and then later when they're in the hole digging together mm. uh, and he does some math and stanley's like wow that was good math dude and he's like almost offended he's like yeah, yeah. i'm not stupid right i just don't like i don't like people asking me stupid stuff so i don't answer him he only talks to and yeah this is what i'm talking about like even the writing of the character is fantastic like he doesn't like everybody thinks he's mute because he just doesn't want to talk to people who are fucking bullshit to him you know and mm -hmm. he sees stanley arrive and Stanley's pretty just open and genuine, you know. He like he writes letters to his parents and like kisses them as he puts them in the in, yep, in the mailbox. I love that and... we see that Zero watches him do that. Right. He that's but, a really sweet moment. But he also like uh you know he stumbles onto a dude and like gets into a fight and he's you know he's not ingenuine at any at any moment and I think Zero can sense that in him. He can sense that. Can we he's talk about a genuine quickly... person? that moment specifically and how uh i don't know why but watching it this time it made me like cry hmm. when stanley falls into that dude and they almost get in a fight yeah and then everyone is like 
don't mess with the caveman. Yeah. Oh, nobody messes with the caveman. And then he goes, I don't mess with anybody. (laughs) And then they all walk away and they're like, come on, caveman. Yeah. Hit the look on his face when he like stands up and he goes, he like points to himself. Yeah. He's like, I'm the caveman. I don't know. (laughs) Yeah. It makes me so happy. I'm like going to cry right now. Yeah. Oh, I love it too. Um, And then Zero, it's better than Barf Bag. Right. (laughs) Right. Zero's always I think Zero has some of the funniest lines because of how matter of fact they are, you know. Yeah, There's right. a lot of comedy in this movie, but Zero is funny just because he's he's no bullshit. He's the That's only character. Is. Yeah, he's the only one too. Mm-hmm. The only character in this whole movie who never puts up a facade. Yeah. Cuz even though Stanley is very true to himself and open, mm. he definitely changes a little once he's caveman. Oh, you know yeah. that scene where he like walks out and armpits dancing and he's right. like clapping and dancing with <laughs> armpit? Yeah. Like there's definitely 50% he's finally coming out of his shell and mm. 50% a little bit of like embodying like I don't think that's something he would do. Sure, like finding a new zero, maybe new you know? aspects of what his personality could be in this community. Exactly. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. But that moment also has a great zero. No acting. No lines. Just a shot of zero sitting still in his tent after, because mm-hmm. Stanley leaves to go catch up with Armpit while they're dancing, and zero mm-hmm. doesn't because zero's not a part of that. Even in like almost to the very end, zero's really not accepted uh amongst yeah. the other guys mm-hmm. you know like the only reason in the very very end i think he is is because they are genuinely like i think it's one of those things where he didn't even realize they gave a shit but yeah. then everyone is like dude you're alive yeah like we thought you were buzzard food and they're all hugging him and stuff i think that's the first moment he realizes maybe even he has a flaw in the fact that he just assumes everyone is a dipshit. Well, you know I what think, I mean? I but think their appreciation of him was developed also by the fact that he ran away and that helped mm. reveal so much about the operation there. I mean, they already knew it was fucked up. They're, they've been on the brunt end of it. But like the fact that he runs away and they don't care at all and don't do anything, even though they've been, you know, talking and ramming into the kids heads that if you try and run away like you'll die out there for sure and someone does it and they don't do anything in fact they delete his files and like not that they're necessarily privy to that but it's very apparent they don't give a shit you know so i feel like that Mm -hmm. amplified they're like god damn like fuck this and zero god (laughs) damn you know yeah exactly i totally agree yeah um i am fascinated by the warden in this movie Me too from the fact that she's called the warden mm-hmm. all the way to the obsessive nature of her arc yeah it's it's a really really great and it's cool because this is a movie where there's not like a bad guy she's right. the antagonist but she's not She's pretty bad. The bad guy. Yeah. She is. Well, the bad but, guy you know, is her, You don't her really dad. realize it, though. Yeah. You don't really realize it, yeah. though, until two-thirds into the movie. And then you're like, mm-hmm. you know, once once uh, uh, Yara actually mentions it in her video, once they really start digging and don't find anything, she turns on them. And then yeah. we realize, like, right. oh, she's not, yeah. you know, this carefree, kind warden. She's literally just there for her own gains. But right. It's such an interesting character because they could have there like her intro scene, for instance. Oh man, um, I love when that I was so a kid. Much, that boot coming I out always, of that car. Yes. Oof. So I always, as a kid, uh, I wanna I wanna talk about this because I think it's it's something that 
I could very easily be like, oh, I probably shouldn't say that. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's okay. But I think it's important to be like, yeah, is this a thing? As a kid, I've always read that moment as them trying to do a, you expect the warden to be a tough man. Yeah. And then when the boot comes out, it's like a straight leg, uh, straight leg jean mm-hmm. with a cowboy boot. It's an old muscle car. Mm-hmm. When I was a little kid, the first time I ever watched this movie, I thought we were about to it was about to go up and be like Kevin Bacon or right. something, you know. Yeah. And when it's Sigourney, there's even like a music moment. There's something about it mm-hmm. where it doesn't go from, oh, it's just a girl. Right. It's it's actually a feeling of, oh shit, this yeah. is more badass somehow. Right. No, you know totally. what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. Which I think is like something that is very very rare especially for its age of Mm -hmm. a movie you know like yeah i don't think i've ever felt that feeling as a little kid where the reveal being a woman wasn't a joke it was right no no take her more seriously yeah absolutely like another like mr sir type would have been like okay here he is but yep the fact that it's unexpected because it is a boy's camp so i mean there is that establishing of yeah exactly and that makes her her role even more like i don't know why it just does it makes it more like oh shit yeah whenever she does anything like the idea that zigzag is like she's got cameras in the showers right for some reason that idea as a kid wasn't like pervy or creepy it was like oh shit yeah i don't know why right you know yeah yeah and the way she has this command over the other you know, she uses their nicknames. Yeah, I think that's which very important to note. She brings this up, and Yara brings this up in her video that that we're linking. Um, the yeah, fact if you're that not really enjoying this podcast episode, just watch her video. It's like the yeah, same thing, but you, better. I give you permission. <laughs> I mean, we're near the end here now, so like, thanks for getting this. So uh, be dumb. for for listening, <laughs> but uh, you should watch the video. But it's it's an aspect of uh, um, surveillance, which is another aspect of like. Uh, you know, imprisonment basically uh, mm-hmm. is the idea that you're constantly be- being watched and that you need to behave yourself because of that. And her walking out of this and going, "Caveman, come over here," you know, like she knows his nickname. That's like how, and she's been what, like she has some sort of surveillance on the, and that's never specified, which is interesting. But, um, and the way she commands, uh, Mister Sir and Doctor Pendansky. And the scene with the rattlesnake poison uh, uh, fingernails, ooh, that always gives me chills. The way, like the the rattlesnake venom. Ooh. She has, and the way okay, he this is responds when he is I... scratched, the his like writhing on the ground is like so all of that shocking. is all him and, too. Yeah, I, right. Watching that, uh, you could assume like, all right, they probably had a, a stunt double cut in for the shot of him falling into the table. No, but in the yeah. commentary, Shia was like, oh, that's all John, by the way. They just told him to do whatever he thought he should do, yeah. and he did that. And it was amazing. He's like, John is a master of acting. Oof. And speaking on that moment and all the whole movie, honestly. Mm-hmm. So this is a movie where everybody has a southern accent. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the actors in the movie aren't from the south. Yeah. And whenever that's a thing, it works really, really well when you're a kid. Because mm-hmm. southern accents are, for some reason... For a Midwest Midwesterner like ourselves, at least, are really hard for like a little kid to be like, that's fake. It's just a Southern accent. It's like a British accent. Like right. when I was a little kid, I didn't know that the Mary Poppins guy was a bad accent. <laughs> Mary yeah. Poppins. I thought that was right, right. you know. <laughs> but 
Returning to this movie, I am genuinely surprised by how spot on, even if not totally accurate to a Texan accent, Hmm. how consistent, I guess is the word I'm looking for. Mr. Sir, uh, the warden, and Dr. Pendansky, all, especially him, because he is, I think, from the South. Hmm. Um, Tim Blake Nelson. Tim Blake Nelson, because like every role he has, he has that like kind of Southern drawl. These accents are consistent and not at all distracting yeah in that scene bad southern accents would make for just no tension there wouldn't be a feeling of like oh shit she just scratched him with rattlesnake venom it'd almost Mm. be funny i don't know rattlesnake (laughs) venom right but the way she says it it's like i love the color i don't know there's no i know it gives me like a kathy bates vibe almost yeah i feel that it's really creepy i don't know um but yeah i wanted to touch on that because i i noticed like towards the end of the movie there are a lot of accents in the movie like uh stanley yelnats's family kind of has a yeah uh they have i what's the word for that accent which is it yiddish i, I was that... gonna say that yeah um let um, us know if that's wrong but uh yeah I think but i think is... that's i think that's appropriate and it's used in a way that often in movies is hasidic no i'm not sure I, man well yeah, I, i'm not that sure accent yeah, that accent is often used for comedic gain in film which can be pretty like yeah it's like you know, family dynamics are funny and some mm-hmm. families from other from some cultures might be traditionally louder and that can be funny to a Western audience. But in sure. this movie, it's not used like that. No. Accents are used to like, I don't know, to just heighten a character. His yeah. dad and his mom are so awesome. And his grandpa, too. They're not mm-hmm. they are never used as like this side beat to make you laugh. It's you motive you're motivated by them and root for them throughout the movie whenever you but, see their side yeah side it's, shit going it's on. It's not it's not funny as in like haha look at them laugh at them. It's funny because you're like you feel like you're in on it and you know the people who are like yeah you're you're dirty rotten pig you're uh no good dirty rotten pig stealing great great grandfather like th- yeah that whole thing that is line like even it's charming could so easily you know? be yes and it could so easily be like like you said haha right. like look at them mm-hmm. but in in reality you feel like you're at the dinner table too right and you just want like you just want this family to succeed so badly henry winkler i love i love it. just his whole character he's always just like I, I'm just doing my best. You know, that, that's the impression. My you get favorite from him. line maybe ever delivered in film is him being like, smell the shoe. <laughs> yeah. Smell the shoe. <laughs> yep. I don't smell anything. What'd you say? What'd you say? <laughs> I don't smell anything. Oh, what a resolution I love to this movie. Oh. Yes. Oh, man. Oh, and before we get to uh, the end, because we're starting to get to that wrap up point, I think. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Can we talk about Eartha Kit? Oh wow! I can't believe we haven't touched on Earth again yet. No, what the fuck? Like they just <laughs> your got family Cat will Woman. be cursed for always and eternity. That is maybe the Whoa. most like if I remember something from my childhood, it's her <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> like the overlapping yep, laughing. Yep, you know. Yep. Yep. Um. So two things I want to say. One, during the commentary with all the guys. So the commentary that I'm talking about, by the way, you can find it on YouTube. It's Shia LaBeouf. And then uh, it's definitely Shia LaBeouf and Cleo Thomas. I think Jake M. Smith, who plays Squid. Mm. And um, Miguel Castro, who plays Magnet. 
and Max Cash, who plays Zigzag. I think that's the group. Hmm. It's like a, you know, it's like four or five of them. Yeah, cool. Dude, every single time Eartha Kit shows up throughout the movie, Cleo, Zero, would be like, oh, man, what a woman. What a beautiful <laughs> man. I just wanted her to be in the Catwoman suit. And everyone was like, dude, what are you doing? Like, you keep saying that. And then Patricia Arquette would come up. And then Shia would be like, man, she was sick. Sick. <laughs> every single time a woman, Sigourney, yeah. uh, when she rubs her nails like on Shia's face to yeah. be like, it's safe when it's dry. Right. Cleo Thomas goes, Shia LaBeouf, you are the luckiest man of all time. <laughs> oh, my God. Sigourney Weaver touched your face. And he's like, yeah, I know. It's just so funny because they're all like 13-year-old boys just right. in a movie with some of the most iconic and beautiful women. Right. Like Eartha Kitt is, sure. she's an iconic, oh. beautiful woman. And yeah. it's just so funny how even like in her age, this 14-year-old boy is drooling over her. Uh, but yeah, I think we should, before this ends, talk a little bit about the music. Holy oh, shit. Oh, man. I had this soundtrack on CD, and it was on repeat always. Like, every time a song came up in this movie, I was singing along to it. This is an example of a soundtrack that if you're listening right now and you want to be listening to the soundtrack, it's one of those where every song featured in the movie, the full song, is mm -hmm. a great song. Yep. So even, like, for instance, uh, uh, what's the Shaggy song? Oh, dun, Keeping dun, It dun, Real. Dun, 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 dun. Keeping It Real. That whole song is so good. Yeah. And we only get, like, the first third of it in yeah, this movie. Not even. You get, like, not a even. couple lines of it. Yep. And uh, there are, like, a couple songs by Moby on this soundtrack <laughs> that are great. Right. Like, it's a very, very interesting soundtrack. And of its time. Mm -hmm. When uh, when that Smash Mouth, I think it's Smash Mouth, right? That don't stop, never give up. Yeah, right. Don't need that because we don't right. give up. You know, it's like... <laughs> I don't know why, but any other movie cannot do that. Holes, that moment, that scene, it works. And it's fantastic. Um, that being said, there is one song that is really, it would have been really easy for me to miss. But I was listening to the lyrics of the songs because uh, I watched it twice. So the second time I was like, hmm. I'm going to listen to the songs and see if they have themes that carry through in what we're seeing. Yeah. I will say the only thing about this movie that Yara actually talks about and I think is an important thing for us to talk about mm. that is not handled great is racism. So the movie basically treats racism as a thing that only individual bad people have. It's not yeah. shown to be a systemic a system. Yeah, and but beyond that uh, I didn't notice it until I watched that video and then rewatched the movie. Mm -hmm. The song that plays, you know how there's a montage of Sam and Miss Catherine falling in love and him being yeah. like, I can fix that. Mm -hmm. And then her reading a book and crying and looking up and him being like, I can fix that. Yeah. All that. Yeah. The song playing in the background, I don't know the lyrics exactly because I was kind of just like, oh mm -hmm. my God. It's something like underneath our skin, we are the same or something like that. Oh. Like throughout the background, under yeah. our skin, we're the same oh, man. or something. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's just one of those like. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I don't know. I, I feel like. <laughs> I'm not saying that that message is a bad one, by the way. Oh, but the But when, when you have, that is pointing out, this, this storyline is pointing out racism. When you're going to do that, 
it's ugh, it's hard you know you don't, don't just don't use half-ass a song that uses a message that is constantly used to oversimplify and suppress exactly. notions of racism but that's kind of what this message is too it kind of oversimplifies and yeah i don't know, you know i i agree with yara and she definitely you know has more authority to speak on it than i do but i i do think i don't know how much more of working that into the plot would have been the word i want to use is appropriate but not like you know in a children's story like this absolutely how much is it's something i'm glad i this is as a kid growing up that plot line was something that taught me a little bit about racism right and it because it it's really not did. absent and she her problem was more that like it's not worked into the it, it's not made a point of in the Modern system time. in the present day thing mm-hmm. and um i don't feel like it's not addressed in in the, i agree i feel like there are you know the fact that most of the other kids that we are introduced to that have been placed in this situation are uh, kids of color and mm-hmm. you know latinx ki- kids and uh, uh black kids and zero specifically is like the most poverty stricken um and he's a young black boy and i i don't think that that is lost on us and i don't think they necessarily needed to emphasize that more but i you know i'm i'm a white dude saying that so i i don't know i mm-hmm. uh, for me, I think it's one of those situations where it's just something we can talk about. Yeah. You know, it. I think it was handled as well as it probably would have been. Mm-hmm. And now that we, as as a society, are growing and changing and learning and understanding something like that, while at the time it was maybe even considered progressive, now we can look back and be like, okay, if we were to do a story like this again, how could we do better? You know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, like, because I don't think the thing I keep thinking of is would it have been responsible for them to just cut out that plot, make it different, make it not about race, make it about poverty, mm-hmm. and make Sam just like, you know, some guy who the rich dude of the Camp Green Lake didn't like because he was poor? Yeah. Could they have done that? Maybe. But then, like I said, as a kid, I wouldn't have had that story. Most of the, most of the stories I grew up with to learn about racism were in my history classes which as we are finally becoming aware of are horribly like uh biased and you know like we learn about you learn about racism and then you learn about uh all of the presidents being like awesome dudes at the same time Mm -hmm. you know what i mean yeah uh a movie like this is just a movie it's straight up it's not like i don't know how to explain that how what i'm even rambling on about right now but essentially if they would have cut it out it would have been one less piece of media that was probably a a reason for me to grow into a better person sure you know what i mean influential in thinking about those things in some capacity um exactly not that we can't do better but yeah um yeah i mean this movie has a very satisfying resolve uh the the curse lifting like the mystical aspect of this whole movie has such a satisfying ending to Dude, bring together all yep. the other ties it really does feel like a big myth th- th- there's one moment i want to bring up you actually earlier in in the show said uh you know pointed out sigourney weaver the the, the warden being like excuse me and that's something she does mm-hmm. like a bunch and then at the yeah. very end when he's loading in the the 
uh, trunk yeah. of gold into the trunk. He says and it she, to her. she like, please, can I just see what's inside? Excuse me? And he closes the I, trunk on her. Yes. So satisfying. Oh, man. Dude. And while we're talking about her for this little brief moment, uh, I think this is a good way for me to... I only have a couple, like, one other thing to say, really, and it's the mm-hmm. special effects in this movie uh, are actually really good. Some of them aged... Really? Meh. <laughs> some, the, of them uh, some of them What I was going to... The CGI is not good in this movie. Yes. The lizard effects yes. are, like, when the lizard gets shot, and then it yeah. cuts to its cut-in-half body, yeah. that shot is fucking bad yeah <laughs> but bad. the uh the makeup effects in this movie are really good oh yeah. like the uh the old man uh who mm-hmm. uh right so basically like the plot line with Catherine, the dude with the gold tooth mm-hmm. we see him in three different ages yeah yeah and all three are done really well that's true. like him being an old man the makeup that's just too damn bad mm-hmm. i don't know i love that guy right. he's so funny to me uh but then also, the uh, there are some effects with like um, practical effects with digging holes and stuff. Like there's a scene the first time Stanley digs a hole, mm-hmm. you can tell that they went to a location and they fucking dug holes because yeah. you see right. no holes. Then you see two That's feet true. deep. Then you see four feet deep. And then he's stuck in his hole. And when he gets out, he walks by like 15 holes. There are some establishing shots with cg holes so that we can yeah. see how many but there those are, are pretty and it's well not done, done poorly they're yeah. pretty well done yeah um and then something i thought was an effect but it turned out was real all of the twisters that you see like dust storm twisters oh yeah that just was how it was on set wow they were like yeah it was like we were actually in the middle of a fucking crazy <laughs> desert <laughs> that's pretty cool well they they get the you know treasure sort of deus ex machina uh resolves all these uh plot lines in such a satisfying way taking zero home yes because it's not just like uh and then all of a sudden blank save the day it's been we've been leading up to this right. deus ex machina all of the stories and everything that we've been seeing have linked together every single one too in order it's to so solve cool because yeah. even like the very beginning of the movie with the pig stealing great great grandfather, right? And like, the brief story of the first joke. Stanley Yelnats and his yep. gold getting stolen. It all comes together in mm-hmm. just such a beautiful way. It's yeah. so. This movie, in my opinion, has better editing and like does a better job of creating one solid story out of like four, right? Yeah. Than I would say better than most. Like I, I prefer the way that this movie handles that over the way that like a lot of Christopher Nolan movies handle. Oh, that. sure. You know what I sure. mean? And uh, it's silly because this is a you know a kids movie, right? But it it just it is mature. And I love that he gives Zero half the money because him and Zero found it, and he's giving some of the money to his family. But like, and it's only fair. Zero broke that curse too, you know, yeah. like. Without that friendship, that curse would have never been broken. It is really nice. And it's nice that his dad just, just immediately like, one for us, mm-hmm. one for Mr. Zeromi. Yeah, I right, love that right. moment. I definitely had some uh, some wet eyes with uh, wow, Zero yeah. finding his mother and how she was I, searching for him too. Dude, that's one of my favorite uh, wish fulfillment moments yeah. in a movie ever yep him being like i just if i could hire a team of investigators right. to find her i would and in that moment you're thinking like yeah wouldn't we it's all like don't you just right. wish you could hire a team of yeah. investigators to go like do that thing for you and right. in this case it's find his mom so yeah. it's even more like i wish 
And then they just do that. Right. He's like, he did hire a team of investigators. And it turns out his mom was looking for him too. I love that so much. And then even this director, another director probably wouldn't have done this, but Andrew cuts to a shot of Stanley's grandpa. I was just going to Just say standing that, yeah. there experiencing this moment. Mm-hmm. And I got to say... This is a moment that I almost wondered, did they just get a reaction shot? And in the commentary, they talked about it. And it turns out that that dude who played, that's actually the director's dad who plays oh, the grandpa. Oh, really? Wow. And in that moment, he was like, oh, fuck you. I don't want to put a tear in my eye. And then the director was like, no, we're doing this. This is going to be an important shot. Oh. And they put a... Uh, so that's like, you know, eye drops and like a fake tear. And they made him do that for the moment because... He didn't know like what wow. the moment was going to pay off to be, but yeah. the director was like insistent and he was like this is going to be a good payoff. And it was. That moment It makes it feel it so home. much bigger too, you know? Yes. Like you feel the personal importance to Zero and then it makes it oh, it just scopes it out, you know? Ooh. Don't you kind of love how when they show that scene of them opening the chest, two things. One, they're still wearing their camp outfits. Like <laughs> They got home and didn't even get a chance to change. They were like, no, we're opening this. And then two, they never introduced Zero. He's like, wait, your last name's Zeroni? And he's like, yeah. And then he goes up and hugs him, you know? Right. It's a very good moment and very funny. But it's also funny to imagine, like, what what did they say when they got there? You know what I mean? (laughs) Yeah. Right. Um, Yeah, there's... uh... A, a lot of good sort of comedy moments in the ending there as well. And uh, I think that should bring us around. You know, we've we've been talking a lot about uh, uh, a lot of serious things, seeing these through, you know, new social lenses. But we got to get around to a kid moment of the week. I think what we should do for this kid moment of the week is kind of go through a few because oh, yeah. it would be inappropriate for us to not talk about more than one thing. We've got to highlight some stuff. We've been talking about... Uh, a lot of serious lenses that we're seeing yeah, things through. Yeah. We gotta we gotta experience it like a kid. That's part of this show. So the first thing is actually the last thing that happens in the movie, and I don't even know if you experienced it. What's Did that? you wait until after the credits? Have you ever done it? I I you're just reminding me that there's something after the credits. I did not wait this time. So at the end of the credits. This is my first time seeing it, dude. Really? I didn't know this was a thing. I didn't know because I didn't I didn't own this on DVD. This was something I had on like VHS yeah. and maybe not even that. Maybe just a friend had. And with know. VHS, you're just rewinding that stuff as soon as possible. As soon you know, as the credits the comes up. You credits. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. I uh, So, it ends and it's just zero on Madame Zeroni's porch, sitting in her chair, and he leans forward, and he goes, but if you forget to carry Madame Zeroni up the mountain, you and your family will be cursed for all an eternity. Oh my and then God. it fades to black, and you just hear him, <laughs> It's so funny. Dude. I don't think it's I've ever so seen that. Funny. I'm going to have to, it's very, when very we're done good. recording, yeah, just, I'm going to go watch that. That's fantastic. Yeah, just watch it. It's and if you can't, uh, it's for sure in that commentary video I watched too. If you're like, I just need to go on YouTube real quick. To, it, you could find it. It's yeah. very funny. Um, I love. That's one of my favorites. Oh, uh, I'm gonna have to watch that for sure. I'm a huge fan of uh, armpit dancing every time he does, but specifically oh. the time he like throws his arms up and all of and them go, everyone's oh, like oh. like fall down and they're like, oh god. So I good. really like another armpit moment. Uh, 
uh, I think I found something. Excuse me. <laughs> Are you dial. trying to be funny or do you think I'm stupid? Oh, no, no. I wasn't trying to be funny, ma'am. Excuse me. <laughs> yeah, right. I just think that's so good. And especially because he isn't. He really was. Like, that's all sincere. You can tell. Right. Like, he's not trying yeah. to make her out to be stupid. He's, that's oh, so good. Man. Um, Mr. Sir has a lot of moments. I was going to say that, yeah. Um, Did my you favorite. realize he starts smoking again at the final moment? When no. He's smoking when they're, like, trapped in the hole and they pull out the thing and the lizards are there. He's smoking oh, again. Oh, wow. That's a that great detail, touch. But... That's a great detail. Um, especially because I could see a Disney movie not doing that. Right. You know? Mm-hmm. But I think my favorite Mr. Sir moment is, hey, gather around. I got a story for you. <laughs> Once upon a time, there was a magical place, and it never rained. The end. <laughs> yeah. It's so funny. <laughs> um, yeah, I love uh, him and Dr. Pendansky. Uh, just like bickering outside. Oh, I forgot <laughs> what they say there was a specific moment, but like, it's it's when uh Stanley's now run away too, right? Yeah. And you see Zero running to get a shovel. Yeah, and he like throws and he, like, something. Throws at him. the tire oh, iron at, at him. Like the how just how childish Mister Sir is, and his like tantrum after uh Squid is like, what happened to your face? Oh man! <laughs> yeah. And then uh Pindansky's like. Now, I think we can all realize that this shows us everyone is human. And Mr. Mr. Sir is a, a very sensitive, sensitive man. man. <laughs> and then you just see him in the background throwing yeah, stuff. Yeah. <laughs> just throwing a tantrum. Yeah. Uh, see something on my face? Huh? <laughs> uh, He's so good, dude. The, the Did you know that his mustache was glued on hair by hair? Really it's a fake mustache glued on hair by hair. That's incredible. <laughs> that is yeah. wow. That that must have taken some time, man. Right. Oh, his facial hair. So funny. Um oh, and also just like after shooting at uh you know, the first time we see a yellow spotted lizard <laughs> and he shoots at it and then he goes back to bed. background walking super like cowboy like sideways, just, yeah. <laughs> looking around. Uh, so good. I love uh uh Henry Winkler, his dad, putting something on top of the like. Why did he put it when he actually solves it? He puts like peaches yeah. on top of he the slanted hood. In. <laughs> yeah, and that whole uh, I smell nothing. You smell nothing. I, <laughs> yeah, I think my favorite thing about that scene too is that him and his wife are like they're like both really excited that they've completed this. And a little turned on. You know, they're like, ooh, I don't smell <laughs> yeah. anything. Right. And then it like cuts to the grandpa right. and he's just like, ooh, he's like sitting there like dancing too, you know? Yeah. I love the grandpa's reaction to that scene. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. I, 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 uh, I feel like my favorite's probably, uh, probably armpit. <laughs> armpit throwing his hands up. I don't know. I like that so much. Or Mr. Sir doing the cowboy legs. I like that. <laughs> I think it's Mr. Sir doing the cowboy legs. That's I think my it's vote. Mr. Sir. And I think we can clarify that it's impossible to, like, the next time we watch this movie, we'll probably have a different kid moment because it's actually oh, yeah. really funny. You yeah. Know? Yeah. Oh, man. And there's so much more we could have talked about. I have 
a bunch of notes that we didn't get to. Oh, yeah, um, I didn't read but, half uh, of mine. But we talked about stuff I didn't know we would talk about, so I'm glad. Yeah, you know? no, I'm uh, I'm glad. I, like, I want another good discussion. kid moment, I guess, now that I'm looking down. What's that? The moment when the cop realizes who Mr. Sir is. <laughs> yeah. And he, like, puts his sunglasses down, like, right. wait a second. He's all embarrassed. For some reason, to me, the sunglasses down moment is what's funny. Just him <laughs> yeah. being like, is that? <laughs> and then Mr. Sir with, like, his... <laughs> One inch collar up, right. you know. <laughs> yeah. yeah, here, here, uh, pen and paper. Right. You know? Yeah. Oh man. Uh. Well. Yeah. I think. Uh. We can't. We can't subject you to any more minutes of us talking about this movie. But thank you for listening to all of the minutes that you have. Uh. I think. Uh. I don't know about you, Gary, but I really enjoyed watching and talking about this movie. Me too. Uh, more than I thought I would too. It wasn't like a thing. I knew I would go in feeling this way yeah i was like i hope it doesn't like let me down this movie i really did really feel that way held up it really did in so many ways mm-hmm. um yeah we could you know dissect so many other specific aspects but i i think we've touched on uh a lot of good stuff here and uh i hope we've helped you think about this movie uh again i hope you watch it again if you haven't already before listening to this uh and you should check out those links that we have provided in the description there's some more you know good insight on stuff going on with this movie um yeah if you need other entertainment uh we've got um our actual play dungeons and dragons podcast called legendary four adventures space vampires thank you gary and um that's with our friends dustin and sam and Gary, you have another podcast. I don't know if you've still been uh, if you've recorded again. Hotbox, the book yeah. club. Uh, I have a few backlogged, so right. next episode should come out maybe pretty uh, soon. Maybe you'll do um, holes sometime. But that we'll actually is a good idea. Yeah. That's a really good idea for sure. Um, yeah, we're taking our time releasing just because not really anybody has checked it out yet. Which no, not no pressure. Yeah, it's very it's it's free form and a lot more laid back so it's yeah. not for everyone i'm sure but well that link will um, be once we get a couple more views as well yeah um and join us again on sunday we've actually got a special guest joining us for the next episode of avatar uh my friend and fellow actor and creator writer uh sofina sago and so um yeah we will be having a guest on the next episode and you can look forward to five more episodes of Avatar and then another movie, which we have a list, but we have not decided yet. So if you have input, you can comment or any feedback, comment on legendary4.com, comment sections on these episodes. But uh, yeah, other than that, uh, I think that uh, that's about it on the uh, whole episode. Get it all wrapped up pretty well. Ending there. I'm Calvin. And I'm Gary. This has been a new lens. Digging it on, 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 keep digging that hole till the day's done. Dig it on, 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 dig it on, 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 on,